Welcome to Married to Politics. This podcast focuses on political topics that you accidentally end up discussing with someone way more knowledgeable than you. Except here, I save you the trouble by discussing politics accidentally on purpose. I'm Sarah Goggins, here with my husband, Derek Santola, who is the true political expert. Not unlike most mornings in our house, each episode, Derek surprises me with a key political issue that he is overprepared to discuss, while I ask the hard-hitting and often awkward questions until I either understand or tire him out on the topic. Derek, what's today's topic? Today, I want to talk about one of the first fights that the Biden administration is going to have with Congress after inauguration. So, as the end of last year uh, moved along, following the election of Joe Biden as president, he started to name his cabinet picks. Yes, vaguely aware. One such cabinet pick was General Lloyd Austin. Not aware at all. This is where you've lost me already. So General Austin is a retired four-star Army general who served as the commander of United States Central Command, or CENTCOM. CENTCOM is very pivotal to our national security profile because that's the major command that's in charge of all Middle Eastern activities. It sounds like a fancy title. He seems important. He was very important. So uh, he was the last commanding general of the United States forces uh, in the Iraq Operation New Dawn, uh, which wrapped in December of 2011. So um, President-elect Biden is very familiar with General Austin from um, Biden's time as vice president uh, when General Austin was over that command. So I want to stop you there. What was what, what what cabinet position is he looking to put him in? Yeah, absolutely. So he's being nominated for the Secretary of Defense. Oh, Secretary, that makes sense. It's Secretary of Defense. Okay, great. So the Secretary of Defense is the top civilian in charge of all of our armed forces. Just for my, who's the current Secretary of Defense under Trump? The current Secretary of Defense is actually an acting Secretary of Defense. It's Christopher Miller. Okay. And when you say acting, that means they aren't Senator... They're, they're not Senate-confirmed. Senate-confirmed. Okay. So the last Senate-confirmed Secretary of Defense was Mark Esper. Okay. I asked this question thinking I would know who that was and that I could like make the comparison. I don't. Um, so this was a very unhelpful rabbit hole for me to have segued you on. Continue with... Mr. Austin, Corporal Colonel Austin, what's his title? General Retired Ooh, Austin. that's very fancy. General Retired Austin. Yeah, or just General Austin. General Austin, I like it. So the reason that um, your equivalency was on point, except for the fact that um, the Trump administration has been tumultuous at best, um, was Trump's initial Secretary of Defense was former General James Mattis. Now, Mad Ma- Dog Mattis. Mad- that nickname I know. Mad Dog was also similarly head of CENTCOM. Okay. So he, sh- he shares a lot of similarities with General Austin. Um, one of their similarities is that General Austin will require a congressional waiver in order to become the Secretary of Defense. Because he's still active? No, so he's been retired, but under the National Security Act of 1947, anyone that's seeking to become the Secretary of Defense has to have been retired from mil- active duty military service for seven years. Why was that law put in place? There, I feel like there was a protectionist reason that was in place. That's exactly what it, why it was put in place. I mean, in the United States, it's very important that we have civilian control of the military so that we avoid any 
even an appearance of a military takeover. Oh, okay. So the National Security Act of 1947 is actually a major restructuring of the United States military apparatus as it existed. Do tell. So this is after World War II. Um, so and, shit went down. Right. The Great War, the war to end all wars. During that time, what is currently known as the Department of Defense was known as the Department of War. And the heads of the Army, Navy, and then what later became the Air Force actually held cabinet-level positions. So what this restructuring did in 1947 was it subordinated the active duty military generals, which are now encompassed in the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So you have the heads of all of the um, military components, Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force. And what they're, they're subordinated to... Space Force. I, I, I would assume Space Force has their own command, so maybe Space Force. Um, and you can't forget about the Coast Guard. They are all subordinated to the Department of Defense and the Secretary of Defense. The first Secretary of Defense, um, as opposed to the Secretary of War, was a man named James Forrestal. And initially, his power was limited, and it was difficult for him to exercise the authority to make his office effective. So this was all changed based off of this 1947 law. Mm-hmm. So going back to Austin, General Austin will have to get a waiver from Congress in order to be uh, confirmed to be Secretary of Defense. Who gives that waiver? So th- this is given by by um, by Congress. When you say Congress, all of Congress, because if he just has to be Senate confirmed, just the Senate. Yes, by okay. the Senate. So the waiver comes from the Senate, just the Senate. That's right. Okay, sorry. When I said I didn't know anything about this topic, I meant So that, the committee of jurisdiction within the Senate is the Senate Armed Services Committee. And they would be the ones to approve this waiver. Now, from a historical footnote, this waiver's been approved twice since the act was uh, signed into law in 1947. We got Mad Dog Mattis. We got Mad Dog Mattis, and the first one was actually George Marshall. So you may have heard of the Marshall Plan. The Marshall Plan, for those of you that don't know, was um, following World War II, the United States sent money and aid to help rebuild Europe to revitalize their economies uh, following the devastation that occurred during the war. General George Marshall was the first individual to be granted that waiver. The second one was Mattis. So if this is done before, can obviously be done again, but you say there's going to be a fight and it's controversial. I assume the waiver is not the biggest issue here. No, the waiver is what's... Well, the waiver is the issue. The Why? Wa- the waiver is what's um, difficult. So within the Senate Armed Services Committee, once Biden becomes the president and Senate majority flips back to the Democrats, we're going to be having a passing of the gavel to Senator Jack Reed, who's currently um, the ranking member... Uh, will become the chair of the Senate Armed Services Committee. So Jack Reed himself is a former um, naval officer and um, very, um, he's got a lot of experience on the Senate Armed Services Committee, hence why he'll be the chairman. But he'll have a split caucus within that committee. Four senators specifically, Senator Richard Blumenthal, Senator Tammy Duckworth, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, and Senator Elizabeth Warren have all gone on record opposing this waiver. Why? Their perspective is that if we continue to 
pass this waiver for every subsequent Secretary of Defense, the law might as well not even be in existence. We did it for Mattis, we'll do it for Austin. So whenever the next president wants a Secretary of Defense who's fresh off of um, active duty military service, it defeats the purpose of having that civilian control. The reason why we have these seven years in place, uh, they refer to it as a cooling off period. Well, it's seen as you've sufficiently lost your military persona and you've regained your civilian persona so you no longer are thinking like a general, but you're thinking more like a civilian. That's great, but isn't that the whole point of the waiver? While this is the rule, there are exceptions to the rule if the senators feel that the nominee would be a great or be worth worthy of this position and and make a good secretary of defense. I mean, it almost... And the inverse of that is, what's the point of waivers if we're just going to blindly not let anyone do it? And maybe that is the argument. It's like we shouldn't have waivers at all. Right. So I think the argument is that if you continue to allow the waiver, you defeat the purpose of the rule. And to your point, if you don't allow the waiver ever, then what's the purpose of the waiver? But... I think it's the fact that we just had this waiver approved for Mattis and now doing it again for Austin would set a precedent of perhaps snap nominations and snap confirmations. Two questions. Did the Democrats oppose the waiver for Mattis? Some did. Okay. And then I know this is a bonkers question, but given the alternate reality that we live in, could Biden not just name Austin as the acting head as Secretary of Defense and then just bypass this whole thing? I presume he wouldn't. So Biden is an institutionalist. He's a creature of the Senate. He doesn't want to be fighting with his own party right out of the get-go. But I think that the the points are being made. Listen, like the, those that are opposing this wa- granting of this waiver, Blumenthal, Duckworth, Gillibrand, Warren... Blumenthal and Duckworth, both of which are veterans, they have a, a key perspective to, to bring to four as far as this is concerned. However, former secretaries of defense and former secretaries of uh, state under Obama, so it would be Robert Gates, former secretary of defense, and secretary of state Colin Powell, also a former four-star general, have all come out in support of Austin. Look, this would also, the waiver point aside, this would be a historic pick. This would be the first time we would ever have an African-American who's the Secretary of Defense. Joe Biden's gone on record saying that he wants a diverse set of views given racial tensions in this country. And I think having what's well, already a limited path um, for people becoming the Secretary of State, for that to be an African-American in this juncture, would be at least symbolic and at most transformative of how the Department of Defense operates. How are Republicans on the committee feel? So Republicans tend to tack um, in support of Austin. What's nice is that unlike other positions, which may be seen as more partisan, this is more of a policy issue. It's not a Republican Secretary of Defense versus a Democrat Secretary of Defense, although they're nominated by partisan presidents. That's nice. This is seen to be someone that's supposed to be 
apolitical and simply looking toward having the military operating at its best. How, you know what, how lovely. After the last four years of everything being partisan, that makes my heart smile. So there's a couple things that Austin is also doing to assuage any concerns. So on January 19th, he set down a formal confirmation hearing in front of SASC or the Senate Armed Services Committee. Um, he's also expected to testify two days later on January 21st at the House Armed Services Committee on that very waiver issue. Mm-hmm. So that was a step that Mattis did not take. He never spoke with the House. Um, so that's expected to head off some concerns for many House Democrats. Um, one such Democrat that's spoken out in opposition to the grant of the waiver is Seth Moulton, also a, a former Marine officer and a veteran. Um, but I, again, I think these steps that Austin is taking um, will assuage concerns. And again, frankly, um, I think this will result in, in a smooth transition process into the next administration. I don't know how if we cover this at the beginning. How long has he been retired for? So he's been retired for four years. Okay, so it's not like he was active duty and coming on immediately. Right, right. He didn't just retire. How um, long had Mattis been? Do we know? So Austin retired from military service in 2016, and subsequently he's been serving on the board of Raytheon and uh, Tenant Healthcare. As far as Mattis is concerned, there was the, the same four-year gap in service from commanding CENTCOM to being... Um, confirmed as a Secretary of Defense. Interestingly, the initial cooling off period was not seven years, it was 10 years. And then it was reduced to seven. So perhaps if we're... So in 2007, Mm. as a part of the National Defense Authorization Act, I think you'll remember that from one of our previous podcasts, the NDAA, that reduced the time delay between an individual's retirement from active duty as a commissioned officer and made them eligible as Secretary of Defense within seven years. So again, that's not all that far off. And what we may be seeing moving forward with this precedent set by first by Mattis, and now potentially by Austin, we may be looking at a future NDAA where it further reduces the waiver time from seven to four years. However, I think that slippery slope is exactly what opponents to granting the waiver are fearful of, is that eventually one day we may be saying, okay, one day you take off your military uniform and the next you put on a suit to become the Secretary of Defense. And again, that goes against our civilian control of the military in this country. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I see both sides of this. I don't know that I have an opinion yet. I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer either. I think that General Austin has definitely earned his stripes, so to speak, and, and will be a fantastic nominee, not only from a historical standpoint, but he knows the building. I mean, he's served in CENTCOM. He's had tours of the Pentagon. He knows what he's doing. I think that's exactly the type of individual that we would want in the Secretary of Defense position and not necessarily someone that comes from the business side of things. I think we want someone who's a soldier's officer and knows exactly what soldiers need when you're in the room with the president who signs off every single speech as God save our troops, God bless our troops. I think it's important that we have someone that knows what's really going on in combat when President Biden makes that decision in the event that we ever have to send troops to war or to the National Mall. Yeah, don't disagree with that. All right, and with that, we will sign off for this episode. I learned so much. Thank you again for listening.
Catch you next time.